time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, away we go. This is Scoops with Danny Mac. It is the Wednesday edition. And the text line is wide open, 65780, 65780 on a Wednesday as we get you set for Ribs and BK, and they're coming up. All right, we got the uh, National League and the American League winners of the Gold Glove. How about the timing, by the way, of Major League Baseball to announce that? Now, I think Major League Baseball does a really good job in a normal year of saying, hey, here's some finalists. Okay, that gives you some pub after the World Series. And here's the winner of this one. And then the next night, here's a winner of this Cy Young. And then here's the MVP. And then here's this and here's that. And hold off on making an announcement for a manager until the postseason is over or making that big move to announce a extension of a deal because we want the headlines. We want to have some buzz in the offseason. But last night, the timing could not have been any worse if you're Major League Baseball to have the gold gloves going up against one of the biggest nights in the election in terms of politics in our lives. It didn't make any sense. I don't think that there is a worse date. I think that actually last night was as bad or equal to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, maybe Christmas. Christmas would have been in there. Name a major holiday. Uh, you're right, though. Super Bowl going up head to head with the Super Bowl with that. I mean, it because it, it gets buried. Right. You know, I mean, if you're the casual baseball fan and you're kind of, you know, just checking the news every once in a while, you're like, oh, okay. Oh, cool. Tony La Russa. He's going to be the White Sox guy. Great. Oh, that guy has uh, picked up his option. That's Stan. No, he's going to stay in New York. Yeah, I'm kind of a Yankee, a Yankee fan. I'll, I will, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. Oh, by the way, Colton Wong got his second gold glove. Oh, I didn't realize that because I was watching the election. And even the gold glove awards, it's one of those things that would just be on. Like you, you say, okay, yeah, you tune in. So it'd be on the TV. You could listen to it. And then when they're about to announce it, you look up and you tune in. Oh, okay. And then you just kind of listen. It's not even, a, it's not even uh, an event that is big, really. For, for most parts in viewing so you add that to everything else it's just terrible yeah it takes away too I think for those that win you know I'd love to hear on like if you did a big set on ESPN in a normal year or MLB network and you were able to bring in Tyler O'Neill that's a that's a great accomplishment for him and we can debate whether or not you know should it be done just sabermetrically and you don't have uh, the human element to really vote and be a part of this which it wasn't this year it was just done on stats um, but still, it's an accomplishment. You just want a gold glove in the major leagues. That's pretty cool. Alex Gordon, for instance, in his final season, wins another gold glove. I think it was his eighth. Uh, Arenado wins a gold glove, his eighth at third base. And then he was talking about, are you going to stay with the Colorado Rockies? So if you're in Denver and you're a huge Rockies fan, you're waking up the next day if there was no election and you're just focused on because that's your favorite guy, your favorite team, you're saying, my goodness, we've heard all these rumors. Now he addressed some of that stuff. That's what you want if you're baseball. You want to create that stir. You want to have people talking about it. That's the disappointing part of putting it on that, and it's just so short-sighted. I just couldn't believe it, especially with production elements. You obviously want to hear from those players, but those were big storylines. It, it was funny and interesting that Javier Baez wants to add an art tattoo, tattoo to his body. It's funny and entertaining, or just entertaining here, to have the Nolan Arenado thing. 
you want to hear that stuff in the special moment like you discussed with Alex Gordon. All three of those in their respective cities would probably be leading the dial if that's what their sport is and that's who their fans are in that city. And they just totally went by the wayside. So we do a sports show here on 101 ESPN. And what are we talking about? Baseball. For a team that was roughly about 500, they've got big decisions to make, but yet it's interesting to hear whether or not Colton Wong, if you're a baseball fan, wins the gold glove. He wins his second. Tyler O'Neill wins one in the outfield. In the National League, Tucker Barnhart of the Reds is your catcher. So, no Yadier Molina is a finalist, and the numbers sabermetrically bore that out. I mean, it was... Obvious, going through those things, he was not going to be a finalist. Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs at first. Wong uh, is your second baseman. Javi Baez, Nolan Arenado, then O'Neill, Trent Grisham of the Padres, Mookie Betts. He's won now five. And Max Freed of the Braves is the pitcher. So this year's gold gloves are based on a collection of defensive metrics. And uh, it's known as Sabre Defensive Index, which combines several methods of estimating defensive performance statistically. And so because, you know, you didn't have the managers and coaches, usually one part of the final component to vote. Everything was done geographically this year with schedule. You couldn't see guys. So that's how they decided to do this. And it made some sense. It made sense in this odd season of 2020. Uh, Roberto Perez is the catcher in the American League. Evan White of the Mariners at first base. Cesar Hernandez at second base. J.P. Crawford at short. Uh, let's see. Alex Gordon, Luis Robert, Joey Gallo in right field after moving from center. And Griffer, uh, Griffin Canning of the Angels, uh, the pitcher. So, um, yeah, that's your gold glovers. And we're going to talk a little bit about that with Brian Walton. I'm going to have an extended visit, hopefully, with Brian. He'll stay through a break, and we'll talk about what's happening with the minor leagues. There is some news with the minor leagues. There's also some news uh, with the gold glove winners and some news with potentially uh, bringing back both Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. So all that more is coming up, and we'll do that next on 101 ESPN with Brian Walton here on a Wednesday. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. A Wednesday, we always talk it over with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com and so much baseball to get into, whether it's on the national perspective, the minor league perspective, what's happening with the St. Louis Cardinals. And as always, uh, Brian, good morning to you. Hopefully things are going well for you and your family. Absolutely. Good morning to you as well, Dan. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about today. Where do you want to begin? Well, last time that we were talking and I was in your camp, I thought the Cardinals would pick up the option for Wong, and at least it would give them some time to figure out what they wanted to do. They have not picked up that option, obviously. So Wong is out there for anybody to to take a look at. They save $11.5 million, and then there were some comments made by John Mosellock that we'll get into with the press conference to address that. But just initially, what did you think of now you don't have Colt Wong in the fold, at least right now? Now, you never say never, could come back. I don't think that's going to be the case, else they would have brought him back. But what did you think of them not bringing Colton Wong back? Well, what I mis- misread, Dan, was the overall market. I mean, we knew that revenues were down. We knew that major league teams were going to you know, be careful in the offseason this year. But it's far beyond careful. I mean, there were players uh, even better quality than Colton Wong. Uh, Brad Hand, the closer in Cleveland, one of the best in the game, let go for over $10 million. So what we're seeing is you know, major league teams basically you know, digging the trenches 
And Wong became a group of uh, very good players in the market. And what that means for the St. Louis Cardinals is they've taken a risk on their defense up the middle. You know, we don't know if Harrison Bader is going to hit enough to play every day. Now Wong's gone and there's a potential that Yadier Molina won't come back. So the gamble is that they're, the Cardinals are taking a strength of their team defense and, you know, taking a step backward potentially for 2021. And I, I think that's definitely risky. But, I mean, I understand where they're coming from for money. But, of course, the big question is, and Bill and talked a little bit about it on, uh, on 101 the other day, you know, how much money do they have to spend to improve a team that we know lacked power last year? Tommy Edmond would be the guy, I would assume, right now, currently constructed, and we are a long ways away from spring training, that would be at second base. When he was in the minor leagues, Brian, and you dive into the minor leagues better than anybody, um, how did he look at second base defensively? How do you think he would fit in uh, to playing in that role on an everyday level at the at the major league level? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Tommy Edmond was primarily a shortstop coming up, and he was an everyday shortstop. And, you know, as he got closer to the majors, they, they played him a little more at second base just to, you know, round him out. Because, of course, you know, typically when prospects come up, they don't get a starting job day one. So, uh, but Edmund is a solid defender. And interestingly enough, the Fielding Bible Awards, which is a defensive award that came out, uh, Edmund was the was like the second or third ranked defender cross position in their metrics uh, for the major league in the National League this year. No, in the major league, excuse me, in the major leagues this year. So, and Edmund is a is a perfectly capable second baseman. You know, he's he's but he's not cold long. You know, he's just, he's just not. The real question with Edmund for me isn't his defense. I think he'll be fine at second base. He won't be exceptional. The question will be, which Tommy Edmund are we going to see at the plate? Are we going to see the 2019 Tommy Edmund, who was above average and had some pop in his bat and was really an exciting player to watch? Or are we going to see the 2020 Tommy Edmund, which was kind of, eh, you know, he's okay, but he's not anybody that's, uh, you know, causing any excitement. And that was coupled with the fact that he was moved to the second spot in the batting order, which is a very, very important place to be to set the table for the guys in the middle. And Edmund, like most of the rest of the Cardinals offense, you know, didn't perform up to his prior standards last year. So we saw last night Colton Wong wins his second gold glove and Tyler O'Neill wins a gold glove. I had a coach tell me that if given a chance to play every day, and this is a couple of years ago, Tyler O'Neill in the minor leagues is a gold glove player, caliber player. And had done that before. He said he is that good defensively. Uh, the metrics, I guess, showed that this year. I, I, I didn't see that, but, you know, the metrics showed that. What did, what did you think of Tyler O'Neill winning that gold glove? Well, Tyler O'Neill, according to the metrics that what I saw, and, and I'm not a, a great expert on defensive metrics, I will admit, but they showed that he was exceptional at getting jumps, at getting reads, at positioning. And positioning, of course, is also something that really probably the Cardinals coaching staff should get more credit for than the player because, of course, you know, where he's positioned is, is where basically the metrics tell them they need to be. But, but O'Neill did a great job of getting to the ball. We saw that he very rarely, if ever, threw to the wrong base. His throws were, throng, his throws were strong. They were consistent. He was just a solid overall player left. Now, you know, we got to realize, and I don't want to diminish his, his, his uh, results by any, in any means, but it was a 60-game season. So, you know, over the course of 162, you know, well, what would have happened? In a normal year for the gold gloves, 
the coaches and managers vote 75% of the, the score. This year, they didn't vote at all, so it was completely metrics-driven. So I think in a way, Tyler O'Neill slipped in and won the gold glove, where in a normal year, the coaches might have gone with someone who had more name recognition, someone they had seen a lot. But you understand why they didn't do the coach and managers voting this year, because nobody saw anybody but in their own divisions, right? The Central saw the Central, the East saw the East. So there's no way anybody could – could evaluate no, you know, none of the East or the West coaches could evaluate O'Neill's defense as you could ever saw it. In terms of going back to Wong, they made the announcement John Mosaylock did, and Brian Walton is my guest, um, about that option or yeah, the option not being picked up, and then he had some general comments just about the team, kind of state of the union of the St. Louis Cardinals. What were some of the things that you picked uh, picked up from that? I was on that call, you were on that call, that Zoom call. Uh, what were some of the things that stood out to you from John Mosaylock? He just wasn't really optimistic. And by the way, if you come over to the Cardinal Nation, there's a story about uh, about that, and there's also the full video that I believe Channel Five put up. So you can listen to you know the 45 minutes of John Mose like yourself. But you know, normally Mo's optimistic. He's talking about being opportunistic. He's talking about flexing payroll muscle, and you know there there wasn't really any of that. I mean, he kind of talked about creativity, but I just felt like John Mosellock was sending a message to lower everybody's expectations about what the team's able to do for 2021. Now, I don't know whether Mosellock personally wanted to keep Wong or not, but my sort of reading was, you know, he was really, you know, not conflicted, but he was certainly down on the fact that they had to let him go. But, you know, he certainly explained why very clearly that the Cardinals need to cut payroll. And that was one of the few levers that they have to pull. Um, So, you know, it's a difficult situation for the Cardinals this winter. The positive is that the market is going to be depressed. There was some analysis, I think it was at Viva Albertos, that they did looking at the players that, that were kept for next year and the ones that were let go to look at the value of a win, you know, what one war would be worth. In a normal year, that's 8 to $10 million in the free agent market. This year, the view is it might be half that. So, you know, if you could go out and bargain hunt and get a player for, say, half his value on a one-year contract for 2021, that would be a really opportunistic play. The question is, do the Cardinals have any payroll to do it? And, the you know, the first questions that have to be answered is, what's going to happen with Molina and Wainwright? Because the reading I get is that if they if those two come back, and they get a you know reasonable salary for them. Of course, they won't come back unless it is. There's not going to be much money to do anything else. Yeah, and it, the, the thing he also stressed that I took away was patience. Uh, the market needs to set up. We're not sure about if and when the vaccine rolls out uh, in time for baseball. What does the model look like for Major League Baseball with all teams in terms of will there be – People in the stands, is it 25%, 50%, 100%? And that dictates the revenue model of what you may be able to spend. So patience, I think, is going to be something that we're all going to have to have in this offseason as we love to play that hot stove game. Yeah, Dan, and, you know, the, the thing that strikes me about that that point that you're on is we don't know much about that at all here in early November. But chances are pretty darn good. We're not going to know any more about it in early January or early February when teams report, yeah, we'll know a little more, certainly. But unless some magical, you know, unless there's a, you know, a huge turnaround in, in the environment that we're in, there are still going to be questions when it gets to the point in time in which teams have to sign players for next year. And so I, I get it. The whole market's going to stall. There's no doubt about it. There's not going to be, nobody's going to be the first one to, to risk overpaying for players when they don't have to. And by the way, I should say, uh, I'm interrupting myself, but, 
December 2nd is a key date. Nothing's going to happen in the next month until December 2nd. And why I say that is December 2nd is the non-tender date for arbitration eligible players. And that's the players between three and six years of experience. San Diego, for example, is going to have a decision on Tommy Pham. Do they want to pay him seven or $8 million next year? In a normal year, sort of like Colton Wong, you say that's a slam dunk. Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll set him loose. The point is there are going to be a lot of more guys thrown into the free agent market. And so teams are going to want to wait and see who's available before they decide to start to sign guys. So I will be stunned over the next month if there's a lot of signing of anybody in any way. But again, you know, the virus is right, is, is sort of in control of what's going to happen. And, you know, at some point in time, teams are going to have to take some risk, not knowing whether they're even going to play 162 games. I mean, the schedules are out there and all that, but they might not be able to do it. Another aspect of this, too, the designated hitter. And that's for, for both the player and potential free agent player and maybe trade, but and the, and the clubs. You know, if you're a National League club and you know that you've got a DH that's in play next year, that changes the complexion of your lineup and what you may do in the offseason. So that's something that needs to be settled, I would think, sooner rather than later. Well, the problem, yes, you're right, Dan. That would be great, I mean, for everybody if they knew for sure what the rules were going to be. Now, on the other side of the coin, they didn't decide last year until June, until right before the season started, maybe it was May, I don't know, right before the season started, before they made the decision on the DH. And everybody figured it out okay, and, and I have a story up. I went through the numbers. The Cardinals actually benefited from the designated here, which I was surprised. Uh, you know, I figured it was a, you know, it was a net down for them, but they actually benefit. But anyway, but here's the problem, Dan, and, and you know this already, but maybe some of the listeners don't. Adding the designated hitter or bringing it back has to be collectively bargained between owners and players. And there are a whole bunch of things that we went through last year that they're going to have to go through again for 2021. What's the length of the season going to be? How much are players going to get paid if we can't play 162 games? You know, are we going to have expanded playoffs? But I, but I, all those things have to be negotiated. And making a decision on the designated hitter, which might be perceived as a give to the players, is not something the owners are going to give up without getting something in return. And so there's a whole bunch of negotiations about next season that we know nothing about that go against the idea of making that decision quickly. The owners will establish a position quickly. Mo mentioned, you know, they're going to talk about it in the general manager's meetings, which are, I think, this week or next week. But even if the owners have a position, that doesn't mean the players are going to go along with it. So I think the designated hitter needs to be decided soon. But I'm not sure it's going to be, though. Minor league free agents, that's something that needs to be talked about, too. And that's sometimes where you can get a bargain or two along the way and supplement rosters and 40-man and that kind of thing. And, and you know, guys develop. Uh, what did you uh, what do you take away with minor league free agents right now? Well, the Cardinals had, uh, I don't know, about 15 guys and they resigned a, a five of them already. But but they're guys who contributed to St. Louis last year who are now free agents. I'm talking about uh, Nabil Chris Matt. I'm talking about Rob Kaminsky, Ricardo Sanchez briefly. So some, you know, some players that were contributors. But, the you know, the way the system works, when they get taken off the 40 man roster, they're no longer protected by an organization. And so. Uh, this whole group of guys are now minor league free agents and they've got to fend for themselves. And you talk about the major league market being stalled. I mean, there's more uncertainty about the minor leagues as to whether they're going to play, how many games they are going to play, how many teams are going to be out there, uh, you know, what the schedule is going to be. There's just so many questions. It's going to be an even tougher market, I think, for uh, minor league free agents uh, this, this coming winter. That's Brian Walden. We'll continue our conversation with Brian in just a moment, and we'll get into the DH, the future of Yachty and Wayno, and some free agents as well. 
more of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Hey, let's continue our conversation on this Wednesday with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. And there is so much baseball to get into. Brian really dives into the minor leagues. And Brian, thanks for hanging on uh, during the break. I want to continue with the minor leagues because we, we focus so much on the free agents and major league baseball as we were talking in the previous segment. And now there's minor league free agency as well. But still, we're, we're talking about teams and organizations that uh, need to be settled at this point. And, and right now, there's still no final list on the 120 minor league teams. And that's kind of dangling out there right now. It is. And, and there's some good reasons why. Um, according to a story I read, I think it was a Baseball America, they speculated that 130 team owners right now believe that they're in. And, you know, it's kind of like the game of musical chairs, right? Until the music stops, you don't know who's going to be out without a, without a place to put their rear end, without a seat to put them in. And there are some things going on right now as Major League Baseball takes control of the minor leagues where they put out new guidelines on how they want to see the facilities upgraded. And it's not just better lights. It's bigger clubhouses uh, and, and much, much more. Things that are going to cost the minor league team owners money. They've come out with new guidelines regarding travel, which are going to make the minor leagues better for the coaches and players. More buses, sleeper coaches, a shorter amount of time without having to get a, to a hotel room, for example, because some of the places like Texas League, just unbearably long bus rides. So a bunch of things going on that you look at the surface and say, hey, that's really good. They're going to make the minor leagues a better place. But those team owners are looking at these expenses going, hey, I'm the one that's got to cover all these expenses, right? If we have two buses, I got to pay for two buses. If there's hotel rooms, I got to pay for hotel rooms. So part of the shakedown to 120 could be, and this is just my personal theory, some of these owners saying, hey, I can't, I can't cut it. I can't, I'm not going to play anymore. So, you know, we don't know for sure when the 120 are going to be announced, but when they are, there are going to be some teams very, very upset. Brian Walden is my guest, thecardinalnation.com. You can imagine, Brian, a lot of people curious about your thoughts on on Yachty and, and Adam Wainwright. Whether that would happen here in St. Louis, they get uh, the, the contract done here or somewhere else, and if it happens soon or if they let the market develop as well. What are your thoughts on those two coming back potentially to town or, or just trying to get their situation settled fairly quickly? Well, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, Yachty's brother, Benji, has gone and, and sort of done the media tour, and he's playing the respect card. And that really turned me off. He was on Riz and BK, among uh, other shows, and, you know, talked about the fact that I can't believe the Cardinals didn't get a deal done with Yachty. Well, listen, Benji, if you understand how the CBA works, the cooperative bargaining agreement, the Cardinals couldn't have got a deal done sooner with Yachty because they would have had to pay him $16 million a year. And if they pay him $16 million a year in this climate, they're, they, they're crazy. So the reason Yachty reached the market was that's the way the business of baseball works. Now, do I think Yachty's going to sign quickly or Wayne? I don't, I don't see it. The Cardinals have cleared roster space, so they could sign them without having to let anybody else go. But, you know, I went through a, I went through an analysis and, and uh, people can go to the Cardinal nation and read about this, not looking at where Yachty might sign or how much he might sign. But I sat down and thought, okay, if I'm Yachty and Molina, 
what factors are going to matter to me? I mean, there are people who out run around and, you know, every time, you know, Tony Larissa gets hired in Chicago, so, oh, my gosh, he's going to go to Chicago and he's going to be co-manager. Or Yachty's going to go wherever Wayno goes. Or he wants to go to a warm weather team. Or None of that matters, in my opinion. What matters to Molina should be, where can I play every day? Because I'm trying to increase my, my personal stats and games played. Where can I win another World Series? Where can I get a contract that's respectful to me, which is two years in money? And then, of course, another factor is, hey, I'd like to remain a career Cardinal, but that's not going to be the number one. So I kind of went through the analysis to say, you know, of those factors, how does it look? And, you know, unless the Cardinals open up the purse strings, you know, it's, you know, it's not a guarantee that Yachty's going to stay. I think he's going to stay. I think they're going to find a way to do this. You know the situation with the ownership group here, and it's not like looking at the pool hole situation, which was a decade-long contract and personal services deal, so on and so forth. This is a two-year deal, and the legacy part of this is important, I think. Matter of fact, I know to the DeWitts. Um, what do you, what do you yep. think about that and, and how that factors into what they may do? I, I agree, Dan. I think that both sides want to get the deal done. But, you know, it's funny. Ever since the Mosellock call and, and uh, Build with the Thirds done some media things as well, I've seen – sort of a, a shift in fan perception. There are more than a few fans now who have sort of said, you know, who sort of see the Cardinals overall plan that says, hey, 2022 is when we're really going to be able to do some things to improve the team. But because of some bad contracts, you know, we've got to kind of keep status quo for a year. Well, unless you believe the Cardinals are going to be World Series contenders next year, and I don't think we do. One of the things I felt with the expanded playoffs was it sort of shook out the poorer teams, one more round. The teams that got, you know, were in the World Series were the best two teams, in my opinion, in each league. And so, you know, yeah, maybe the Cardinals can contend for the playoffs next year, but I don't think anybody sees the Cardinals as World Series contenders. Well, in that environment, do you want to spend the money on Wayno and Yachty and kind of have it be the farewell tour and that's how you the market next year and all? Or do you want to bite the bullet and say, hey, you know, it's time to start the transition now. The more we can play younger players in 2021, the better we can be positioned for 2022. So, yeah, I think, you know, Yachty will come back, but if he sets his sights too high, like Marcelo Zuna did last winter, and he wants too many years and too much money, you know, it it might not end well. In, in terms of just looking at what's happening with baseball, um, I only see, and maybe you, you may agree or disagree on this, I only see maybe four teams initially spending a lot of money, with Mets probably being at the forefront of that with their new ownership, really deep pockets. You always think the Yankees are going to be in there. You, you probably include the Dodgers, maybe some other teams, one or two. And then outside of that, that's why this is going to take so long for this market to develop. I really believe that. Absolutely. You know, I think the top guys are going to get their money. I mean, the George Springers, right? They're, they're going to get their money. LeMahieu's, you know, they're the, the cream of the crop. They're going to get their money. It may take a while, but they'll get it. You know, it's sort of like, remember the Machado and Harper market and how everybody was gnashing their teeth a couple of years ago that, oh my gosh, you know, there, you know, there, there's collusion and all. Well, they got their contracts. It just took, you know, into the new year, quite a ways into the new year. And I think that'll happen this year. I think where, you know, the guys that are really going to get hurt are the guys kind of in the middle, right? That and, and at the low end, who normally might be able to get a multi-year, a two or three-year deal. They might have to settle for one year and for less money than they wanted. But as you said, you know, it's going to take a long time for this to shake out. January, February, you know, camps may open with guys, you know, not having teams. And that's going to cause a lot of consternation um, uh, among players, especially 
while they're still trying to negotiate what 2021 is going to look like in terms of money and, and structure. And oh, by the way, you know, just X number of months in the future in December 2021, they're supposed to have the negotiations done for a new cooperative bargaining agreement, which would completely, you know, set the rules for the game for the next five years. And, you know, that's going to be a contentious process as well. So there's going to be a lot of baseball talk over the next you know, 12 months about non-playing aspects of the game. Matthew Libertor and Nolan Gorman. So if this was a normal season, Brian, and they played in the minor leagues, and let's just say they had a normal you know, trajectory in the minor leagues in a solid season, whatever that may look like in the minor leagues, um, what would they be doing in 2021 coming up? And would there be the potential that you would see maybe one of these guys make a debut at the end of a season? Well, my a year ago at this time when we were talking about Nolan Gorman, I thought – a similar path to Dylan Carlson was very reasonable. And that meant Gorman goes, he plays in the Texas league. Maybe he scuffles a little bit in the beginning. He finds his way. And then late in the season, he gets to Memphis. Maybe he plays in the Arizona fall league, probably plays in the Arizona fall league and gets himself positioned to go to 2021 spring training camp with an opportunity to compete for a spot with the Cardinals. Now we didn't have that opportunity last year, obviously. So Nolan Gorman didn't get to play in double A. He got to play an alternate camp. And that's certainly better than nothing, but it's not the same. So the question is going to be, and, and as we look at the roster right now, as of today, Matt Carpenter is more than likely your everyday third baseman. And there's reasons why they want to make sure that, you know, Matt Carpenter doesn't get his 600 and whatever plate appearances so that his expensive contract vests for 2021 is expensive option. So, you know, what could you do? Could you put Nolan Gorman on the fast track and get him ready potentially to join St. Louis in the second half? Yeah, maybe he stubs his toe. Maybe he scuffles like Dylan Carlson did when he first came up. But 2021 is going to be 2021 anyway. So I think there's a way the Cardinals could – my long-winded answer, the short version of my long-winded answer is, I think the Cardinals could do some things to accelerate Gorman to potentially get him into St. Louis in the second half and set the table for 2022. Brian, you've had so much great information today. I always tell everybody, go to thecardinalnation.com. So uh, what are you working on right now? Well, we started – the thing we didn't talk about, we started our annual top – 20, uh, 50 countdown of the best prospects in the major leagues. And I have joining me a, a, a really sharp scouting mind, Matt Thompson from Prospects Live, who's doing scouting reports and then I'm writing the stories around them. And we'll have one new prospect we unveil a day for the remainder of the year. So far, we start out with Brendan Donovan, Edgar Escobar, and today's story is about outfield, outfielder Connor Capel. So uh, prospect news every day throughout the winter at the Cardinal Nation. My man, great stuff. Thanks as always, and uh, we'll catch you up next Wednesday. Appreciate it. Take care, Dan. Always fun to visit with Brian Walton on these Wednesdays. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs and BK, Alex, they're coming up next, and we appreciate Brian Walton for the extended visit today on this Wednesday. A lot of baseball conversation there. 65780, Danny Mack. What about a work stoppage in 2022? How does that affect what you think teams may do? What's well, big? Um, when you think about what is going on in terms of the uh, the situation with free agents and I look at like the DH. So you've got the DH going on right now. I would love to see these guys trying to figure out a CBA right now. So one of the ways to do that is that if you give the players a DH, that's kind of saying, well, 
that's a check mark in their box that's going to provide some jobs it's going to provide some money for them but then what's the give and take as you go back and forth let's start doing that now get it done now get in a room start hammering this thing out and as it pertains to the season next year, we don't know what will be 162. Is it 154? Is it going to be shorter than that? We'll start figuring that out now so we don't have a situation like we had last summer. And at that point, you can then figure out what you're going to do. Oh, Jamie Rivers has just popped in the studio. Nice to have you. Um, so at that point, you know, if you start figuring things out now, it eases what could be contentious going into this season not knowing about the length of a season, not knowing exactly what a CBA looks like, and then beyond. That's what I'd like to see. Good to see you, my man. Hi, Dan. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, Ribs BK, they're coming up next. This is the crossover, at least it's supposed to be. And I'd like to know uh, what your thoughts were on the J.R. Jeremy Rutherford article in The uh, Athletic, and he said, Basically, there's a lot of quotes about it, but Colton Pareko is the guy to kind of take the ball and run and be the main guy on the back end for the Blues. You think that's the right way to go? Yeah, I think that that's kind of, you know, the succession plan to Alex Petrangelo, and I think that he's been groomed for that over the last couple of years, uh, specifically in the in the Stanley Cup playoff run. Jay Bowmeister and Colton Pareko were the shutdown tandem throughout the entire playoff. So I think the natural progression for Colton Pareko is to be elevated now to that number one D. And when you look at their core as it sits, I think it's the perfect fit. I See, I look at him as being a stud. I, I think he's going to be the, the, the training wheels are off, so to speak, now that Petro is gone and you move on from that era. I think he's going to be a stud. I, I maybe I'm wrong. You would know way better than I. But I see little things. I see the flashes. I saw, I watched how he played in the bubble. I thought he was one of the better players. Correct me if I'm wrong. But no, he had a good run there. He did. I I just think that now that okay, you're the guy. This is something that you look forward to if you're a Blues fan. Absolutely. Taking his game to another level. Absolutely. Look, the guy's a physical specimen. He's six five, six six. I don't even know. He's he's in great shape. He's one of the fastest skaters in the NHL. I'll tell you that right now. From goal line to goal line, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that's that much faster than him. So his ability to track down other guys on the offense and close out players defensively is incredible. You add that with his reach and his physical ability, his strength, this guy's a monster on the back end. Where he needs to go next, the next baby steps for Colton Pareko is seeing the ice as well as an Alex Petrangelo, as well as an elite defenseman in the league, a Roman Yossi, guys like that where that first pass out of the zone is a given. Like Chris Pronger used to be an automatic. When he got that puck on his stick in the defensive zone, it was automatic that it was an outlet pass and it was tape to tape. So um, you and BK and Alex are always on a uh, text String, you know, yes. you know, talking about like a Cardinal game, Blues game. So were you guys doing that with the election last night too? No, no. Oh, we gave did, the election a break. I think okay. that um, the temperature is very elevated in the country right now. <laughs> and uh, even jokes and funnies can be perceived the wrong way. So Understood. I, we kept a, a 20-foot poles length away from that. Did you watch it, though? Were you interested? Of course, yeah. yeah. I was glued to it. I found it fascinating. I still do find it fascinating as it's continuing to go on and... Look, I'm just hoping at the end of all this, whoever wins, that the country can take the temperature down and let's just settle in and let's not have some kind of civil unrest on one side or the other. Let's just take it down and yeah, be united. I know it sounds cheesy, sounds corny, but 
you know, I'm I'm a Canadian. I'm down here and I love it here. My my kids are born here. My wife is from the United States, America. It's the greatest country in the world, and I just want to see it act that way. You know, this is supposed to be the crossover. You're a little late. I, I'm just going to be, I'm on the record with well, that Dan, one. Dan, in all honesty, I'm not yeah. used to you actually being on clock. No, so. I will give you that. that that's definitely a fact. <laughs> Caught me off guard. I blew a hamstring coming down the hallway <laughs> A lot this. of times it's just ribs and BK, they're next. What's up? That's on me. No, it's okay. That's on me. That's what teammates are for. We're okay, a team, buddy. Dan. What do you got coming up on the show? Uh, lots of stuff. We're going to talk about certainly about Colton Wong and Tyler O'Neill. They uh, today they woke up with a few extra pieces of hardware yep. for them. Awkward timing by Major League Baseball. Oh, However, boy. still great awards. We uh, to your point, we have Jr. coming on today to talk specifically about his piece in the Athletic uh, and Colton Pareko and his next step. So I believe we have you as well today. Yep. And yep. so we're going to have you on. We're going to talk about something earth-shattering, I'm sure. I'm sure. And uh, it's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun. All right. Ribs BK, Alex, coming up. Uh, Scotty, great job. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.